Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Boy, have I got a show in store for you. What do you want to do better this year? Shoot. Yeah. Yeah, shoot. Become a better shooter. I've got the ultimate lesson for you with Anthony Matarese. Anthony is, well, he's won every shooting title in the clay target world. The guy's an incredible instructor and a great communicator. He will take us through the ultimate shooting lesson. On top of that, we'll have some photos of yours from winter hunts that you've done. And we'll wrap up the Christmas and holiday season with what your dog got for Christmas or Hanukkah. It's all made possible by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, ESPAmerica.com, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Choke Tubes, MidwayUSA.com, Purina Pro Plan Sport, LandTrust.com, and high-vis shooting systems. See what you've been missing. Well, you will today, at least. Well, we're both back in action. I was fighting a little bug. Uh, Flick's, uh, the hole in Flick's leg healed up. Uh, we got out and did some, uh, some chucker hunting uh, before the snow flew. Got lucky on that. Didn't get so lucky on the shooting side. You know, I tell you, the birds, I was just lamenting to somebody else. The the birds acted so nervous, but then again, they were that nervous at the beginning of the season. I think I'm going to blame it on the wind last trip, but whatever it was, it was tough shooting. Although I did get some great dog work, you know, with a good, strong breeze, you get points at 30, 40 yards, and that's pretty cool even if you do miss when you pull the trigger. Thanks, Mark, for bringing me along. Sure had a great time. How about you? Well, uh, I asked on uh, social media a while back, uh, what kind of Christmas presents or Hanukkah presents did your dog get? I can't share all your answers because there were so many, but there were some really cool ones, some clever ones as well. Um, Larry Davenport says his dog got a new gun, and he's already told Larry that he could use it whenever he wants. Yes, uh, Thomas C. Watts says, uh, toys and treats, and I hope to get him a mallard for Festivus. Okay, if you're too young to remember what Festivus is, look it up. Toys and treats, very high on the agenda for most dogs. Uh, Stephen Robbins says he went with the eight nights of Hanukkah and 12 days of Christmas, a total of 20 gifts for each of my three dogs. I am now officially broke. Absolutely. And Karen Foote, isn't this what it's all about? Christmas presents all year long in the form of our fine feathered friends for training and fun in the off season. And then her dog finds gifts for Karen during the hunting season. Yeah, some great stuff, and um, I'm not surprised. Uh, uh, you know, our dogs work so hard for us. Why not 20 presents for three dogs? Yeah, I'm officially broke too. But that's okay. There's always next year. We're brought to you in part by LandTrust.com. You know, I've been going out to some other places, you know, just for the day. Or if you want to stay for more than one day, often you can camp on these places. It's kind of the Airbnb, if you wish, for um, for hunting land. LandTrust.com connects trusted guests with trusted landowners who offer exclusive access to their lands for quality outdoor experiences. It's kind of a DIY option. You're guiding yourself. You're bringing your own dog. You're looking for your own birds. But it's all yours. Learn more and poke around at some of the places you might want to go. No obligation. At LandTrust.com And as I've said, and I learned again, even if you're a bad shooter, a good choke tube will probably put more birds in the bag. And I get mine at TrueLockChokes.com. They have over 2,000 choices all with a lifetime warranty and a satisfaction guarantee. There's always something on sale, always some added value there. So learn more about how truelockchokes.com can improve your shooting simply by screwing in some high-quality, well-engineered 
great material choke tubes at truelockchokes.com. Well, I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I've watched this guy from the very beginning. Uh, first, uh, the first, second, third TV series I created for Outdoor Channel was Clay Target Shootout, and I was going to all the big shoots back then. This name kept coming up, and now I know how to pronounce it right. Anthony Matarese, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You are, heck, let's just be frank. You are the man. Uh, youngest shooter in history, inducted into the National Sporting Clays Hall of Fame, first American to win the World Sporting Clays Championship. I could tell you, I could talk all day about your accomplishments in that world. Congratulations. Um, What has been the highlight of your clay target shooting career? Uh, Good question. I mean, being the first American to win the World Sporting Clays Championship would definitely be if we had to uh, put a title to something, that would be, that would be it. Um, I, I grew up shooting and, you know, for years, the U S was behind the rest of the world, particularly England, uh, when it came to sporting clay shooting and, um, to be the first guy to do that was, that meant a lot to me. I bet. But if I, uh, if I look at everything, just, just my, uh, longevity, you know, would be the, uh, would be the thing that, you know, is important for me. I'll be coming into my uh, 29th year of competitive shooting consistently, you know, which is a, obviously a big commitment. And, uh, you know, that, that, that I'm proud of as well. Well, and I don't blame you. I was doing the math on exactly that because I looked at the, one of the, you know, awards we got for that TV series and thinking, my God, was it that long ago? and you're still at it and you're still at the top of your game uh is there something uh much like any other professional athlete there must be a mental game that you have to play a little bit harder at these days than when you were just making a name for yourself yeah i mean there's a there's a you have to be you have to be committed you know you have to have a desire to to do well to win um, I believe that, you know, there's always some younger guy coming along that, you know, it easily has more, is likely to have more drive and be more, be more committed and have less uh, other responsibilities in his way, et cetera. So I feel like it's just the, to do it for that long, it's just determination and, and mindset, you know, coming into the 2024 season, I'm shooting a new gun this year, uh, switching guns, shoot a Beretta over and under, but I'm switching guns and, that's uh you know people ask me why i'm switching guns one of the reasons i'm doing is be doing is because it keeps it interesting for me to yeah yeah find a level of commitment that i'm going to have to practice a little bit extra and a little harder to to get used to that new gun but you know so it's it's going to be harder work than if i stayed with what i had done but you know that that little bit harder work is sometimes what you need keep you keep you going in the right direction yeah i can relate to that in fact i just wrote something about that in my case it's uh, i'm I'm television's worst worst shotgunner and so i'm always looking for a way to get better and I, i was watching the world series and i watched somebody who was in a slump they came out with a black bat for a change and you yep. got a blooper single to opposite field, but it was better than the strikeouts he was getting. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I had to do more of that just to keep myself on my toes as well in the shooting game. Right. And uh, so what do you have to do differently if you're switching to a, a, a new shotgun? What are the um, adjustments you make? So, you know, at my level, the first thing is uh, getting my stock my gun stock and my gun fit correct yeah which is uh fairly straightforward in regards to trying to get it similar to what i have now right so um but over the years i've always tried to you know tweak my fit you know tweak my gun fit slightly to you know i don't look exactly the same if i look in the mirror as i did uh 10 or 20 years ago that's for sure right you know so mm-hmm. um tweaking my gun fit as i go and i get a custom stock made and built and i kind of work through that a little bit myself and then if i look at the gun and check the weight and the balance of it you know making any adjustments to that you know one thing that you can do for example is 
you know, if you have a gun that's a little bit lighter than you, a little bit lighter than what you had used historically on the barrel weight, you can use a steel choke, you know, in the end of the gun on your chokes. If the barrel weight's a little bit heavier than you use, you can use a titanium choke, you know. So there's a lot of small subtleties that you can that you can tweak to kind of get that exactly where you want it. But at the end of the day, it's really just getting the fit right, matching what you're comfortable with, and then spending some time on the range, um, getting used to it, you know. So the, the the gun, when you're shooting your best, is going to be kind of an extension of your body. Right. So uh, whatever time that takes, and that's that's one of the that's one of the things with switching that can be useful as it forces you to put that that time in. Yeah, you got to look at it uh, uh, from a fresh perspective, don't you? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we are going to talk a lot about hitting clay targets, but uh, for the record, and because it, it is relevant to everything we're going to talk about, you're also a hunter. Um, if, if you were um, not talking to me and you weren't not teaching a shooting lesson, where would you be hunting? Uh, we live in southern, I live in southern New Jersey. That's where I grew up. Um, I've done a uh, lot of duck and goose hunting over the years. That would yeah. be, be the hunting that I, you know, as a crow flies, we're probably in southern New Jersey. As a crow flies, we're probably only about 20 miles from the uh, Chesapeake Bay, mm-hmm. and we're we're positioned right along the uh, <clears throat> right along the uh, Delaware Bay. So um, that area there is where I grew up. That's where I've done most of the hunting that I've that I've done. Um, I've done a little bit of uh, upland hunting in some different places over the years, but uh, predominantly uh, the East Coast in uh, southern southern New Jersey. And um, it, when it comes down to hunting, um, is there is there are there the similarities and differences to your shooting your approach to shooting? Yeah, I mean, um, I feel like I feel like if you are shooting clay targets and you're doing you're following your fundamentals and you're doing things well it's definitely going to translate into the field so um the biggest variable i believe is a good gun mount so that you can mount the gun well in you know with an element of surprise right so in the, in, <laughs> in the field, you know in the in the in the field you know you're not sure exactly which direction the bird's going or 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 when he's going there um so a good gun mount holds true in sporting uh shooting clay targets but it's very critical in the field it's probably the part that i think most people are are missing the most you know, when they're out there and doing a uh, whether they're hunting upland birds or waterfowl or whatever dove shooting whatever it might be is that their their gun mount is not great and then the number one thing that happens when your gun mount's not great is you shoulder the gun and you look down the gun to check alignment you know check your beads and see if you've got a figure eight or f- see if you've got your eye in line with the gun. Well, if you're in the middle of a shot and that happens, now you're not looking at the target, you know, so you're not looking at the, the bird that you were shooting at. You're looking at your alignment down the gun. So that's, so I feel like that holds true across all, all shotgun shooting. And then it becomes even more, more important in the field. Well, well, I'm 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 looking at two shotguns in my office right now, because I am working on that in particular. Especially if if you're faced with different weather conditions and you know yep. you're wearing different layers and things like that. And yep. But but in general, if we're you know we got snap caps in the gun and we're in a safe place and we can practice uh, mounting our gun in doors, for example, are there some things that you would ask us to do as an instructor? that uh maybe we're not doing yet yeah i feel like um you know a couple things when we look at when we look at gun mount um number one first i would talk about like the physical position generally we want to make sure we've got the head towards the front of the stock Um, a lot of people mount their head too far back on the stock so we want to be able to get our head towards the front of the stock we want to make sure we have the recoil pad in the pocket of our shoulder um not too low or too high uh, we want to make sure that as we mount the gun, we're moving our front hand and our back hand together. So if you're a right-handed shooter, your left hand is your front hand. Uh, you want to move your, your left hand and your right hand up together. So it's simultaneously, yeah. uh, generally feel like your front hand being the left hand for a right-hand shooter kind of pushes towards the bird initially and the back hand kind of follows with it. One big mistake is 
people move their backhand very quickly and first. Yeah. And that brings the gun to the, to the pocket of the shoulder, but creates basically a seesaw with the barrel. So the, the back of the stock comes up and the barrel goes the wrong direction or goes down. So that's something that's, that's a common mistake that we need to be looking for. You know, I'm going to steal that. I know, I know you didn't come up with it either. Somebody else uh, described yeah. it as your front hand. That's so much more obvious than your uh, offhand or your left hand, yep. which is not yep. right. You know, half. Yep. You know, for some people, it's wrong. So Absolutely. I'm going to I'm going to steal that too. Um, l- let's talk a little bit about what else you're doing because your life is. Uh, y- is very complicated and and yep. I, I mean that in the best possible way you're you're still competing at the highest levels uh you're working on a number of other things as well including aim shooting school so let's start with that you know most of the people i talk to who are at the top of their game i ask them what they like most about it and they say helping other people do it too i mean do you get what do you get out of teaching other people how to shoot yeah uh, i started teaching shooting kind of by necessity at our range here. Uh, when I was 14 or 15 years old, there was people that were learning how to shoot. So I started uh, basically 25 years ago now. And um, the uh, it's been a great career. And uh, when the light goes on and you teach someone, teach someone something that they never knew before, it's uh, pretty incredible. Do you, um, I, I noticed on your website for the shooting school that you will take a, basically a less advanced shooter as well. Is there, is there a philosophical reason you want to talk to those kind of people as well? Or what do you get out of that? Uh, I teach people of all experience levels, to be honest with you. It's some of the, some of the less experienced shooters, somebody that's someone who has shot a good amount, but hasn't had much education Yeah, is, uh, really kind of one of the one of the one of the lessons that is the most fun for me to give Mm. Uh, meaning you have someone that they shot enough to be really you know kind of skilled with handling the gun but they just don't really know what they're supposed to be doing (laughs) Uh, that's 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 really one of the one of the one of the lessons that is the most entertaining to for me and kind of get the most reward out of so uh i i teach i teach all levels and that's that's a little bit different there's there's a lot of there's a lot of shooters that are that give instructions that are at the top of the game that they don't necessarily uh enjoy working with the, the less experienced people quite as much uh, but I, I enjoy it all i have students that are uh the best in the world one of my, one of my students this year came in uh third at the net, third at the world championship wow you know so uh and then all the way to I could be given a lesson to someone who's only been out a handful of times, you know, so yeah. anywhere in between there. You're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. That's Anthony Matarese. The guy's got, well, heck, in 2020, you became the first person to win all four major titles, U.S. Open, National Championship, World Sporting Clays Championship, and World Task Championship. And I want, to, I want to touch on that in a moment, but... Um, what do you see that let, let's just say you have a um, an intermediate uh, you know intermediate level hunter who comes to you for a shooting lesson what is the most common thing you need to fix with them uh first thing we look at generally that person is asking if they're are they shooting with one eye or two eyes yeah address anything in that regard if there's a, any eye dominance or anything like that that needs needs to be addressed um then we start just looking at fundamentals of gun mount and proper stance and how to mount the gun well especially in a hunting situation like we've already mentioned being able to get the gun shouldered correctly even in an element of surprise and then we work to uh build them an understanding of how to shoot the shotgun and look at the clay or look at the bird and learn how to apply lead mm-hmm. but learning how to apply lead while watching the target and watching the bird that they're shooting at versus looking at the barrel and aiming and measuring so um, kind of start off with some fundamentals and then get into understanding how to lead a target while maintaining focus on the clay, you know, it's or focus on the bird that they would be shooting at if it was an, an upland bird or, or a dove or something of that nature. So it's easy to easy to lead a target. It's easy to look and focus on the target. It's hard to do both <laughs> and, put, and put the two together. So that's really 
that's kind of really where shotgun shooting is uh, is a challenge, right? You know, one statement I'll often say is the most difficult part of shooting a shotgun is you have to know you have to know where to put the gun to hit the target in relation to the target, but you can't be looking at that position. You got to be looking at the target. You know, that's the that's the hard part. Oh, absolutely. You, should, you don't have to yeah. tell me. <laughs> right. that's, that's the challenge. Well, I'm, I'm, I've been experimenting a lot. I've, I've shot every style over the years. Uh, still can't get it right. But uh, I'm, I'm particularly focusing right now on foot position. Take me yep. to school on uh, what I, I love your description of uh, being able to shoot uh, uh, a target and be uh, basically the, the word surprise is the word you use because we do not know. I don't care what the dog is doing. I don't care where we are. Um, we do not know exactly where the bird is going to go. So, yep. so tell me how you would address that. In related to foot position? Yes. Related... Let's so start, biggest... start from the bottom and we'll work our way up. Yes. I mean, so the biggest thing in the field, let's say we're, we're shooting upland birds and um, maybe the dog's on point or the dog's acting birdie or whatever it might be, depending upon if you're using a pointing dog or a flushing dog. Uh, the biggest thing that has to happen in the field is you have to make sure as that bird flushes, you make a step when you shoot the shot, yeah. okay, so yeah. that your front foot is going towards where that bird's going because you could be literally facing, you could be, if you thought of a clock, you could be facing, your body could be kind of square facing 12 o'clock and the bird starts flying out at 9, you know, going away. So you're you're going to get up. You're likely to get a bad gun mount because your foot position is incorrect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we would want to step towards that bird as we're mounting the gun. Yeah, and that's something we can even do at the house to practice getting better at that. Yeah, and and actually, that's exactly what I've been working on. Now let's touch on uh, on eye dominance because I'm one of those guys. Okay. So I uh, I learned to shoot with the wrong hand and uh, and never went away. I tried a few times, so I put a patch on my shooting glasses yep um what's your solution if there is such a thing to uh, uh cross dominance sure. yeah good question i mean there's first off we should we should mention which is kind of news in the last five five to five years for five to ten years for sure compared to 30 years ago mm -hmm. um Historically, everyone thought of eye dominance as are you are you right eye dominant or left eye dominant, where you stuck a you know yeah, stuck yeah. a hole in a piece of paper or something and looked across the room at an object and brought it back to your nose and whatever whatever eye you brought it to is your dominant eye mm -hmm. or you made a circle in your hands or a triangle in your hands and found something across the room and brought it back and we diagnose you as right eye dominant or left eye dominant. Really, what we've come to find out particularly in the last five years as we have even more people doing it, um, more people using this method of test. We Really, eye dominance is more of a scale. Yeah. So we have right eye dominant, left eye dominant, and then really everywhere in between, like a percentage or a grade. Yeah. So some, yeah. someone might be 80% right eye dominant or 90% right eye dominant or, you know, 100 right-handed but 100% left eye dominant. That would be kind of... The, the problem with the old test that we used to use, what's called an aperture test, is it, it told us one or the other. Okay, so if your dominance was 50% or greater on 51% or 55%, it would tell us, hey, you're right eye dominant or you're left eye dominant. Really wasn't telling us the whole story. Okay, so sure. we, we, we made a lot of mistakes years and years ago with what someone should be doing okay meaning hey just leave your eyes open because you're right hand and left eye dominant or you should have switched this person should have switched to left handed mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. because we thought they were left eye dominant but if they're only 75 percent left eye dominant then there's a 25 percent chance it's not going to work anyway okay so answering your question it's pretty damn complicated okay um, <laughs> i can attest you, to that yeah if you if you if you were to position, if you were to take a cell phone and stand about, you know, five to ten yards away and have both eyes wide open and point your finger at the cell phone camera with your right finger on your right hand and your left pointer finger on your left hand, and you see where that finger is pointing in relation to your nose, 
so your eye and your nose okay you'll see it's going to be right under your right eye or over under your left eye or sometimes your nose would be like 50 fit like fifth like center dominance that tells us really how, you know so that's the first thing i do if, if the student wasn't there with me personally right so occasionally i'll get someone who says hey can you help me out you know i, I don't know what i should be doing you know or let's say you wanted you know me to give you any guidance considering it's something you've been fighting with over the years you know t point at that cell phone camera with your right pointer finger your left pointer finger both eyes open and send me the picture and i'll look at it and say this is where your dominance test right so yeah. if you're if you're right-handed and strong left eye dominant and you're you know a young kid okay or even 20 years old then sometimes it makes sense to say just switch to left-handed yeah okay? yeah um the older you get, the, the less likely that's, you know, a viable solution just because the, the coordination factor matters, right? Or yep. if you have a hunter who's right-handed and strong left-eye dominant and they only go out and shoot clays once or twice in the season and they hunt another half a dozen times, they're never going to shoot enough volume to get comfortable on the other side. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. so there's no, there's no way they can switch because they're not going to have enough experience. Um, now that same person said, you know, I'm going to go out and do clays once a week and try to learn this because I'm left eye, left eye dominant hundred percent. And I want to shoot both eyes open. Uh, then they could possibly learn it, you know, depending on their level of coordination, their yeah. degree of dominance, <laughs> yeah. et cetera. So it's really a case by case anywhere from switching shoulders to squinting the left eye to using a dot on the left eye. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, you have some people who their dominant, their right-handed, their left eye dominance is their left eye is so strong they can't squint it. Okay, like it's difficult for them to squint the eye, and the yeah, dot works yeah. much better for them. Um, you know, the dot. I always advise hunters though, be careful. You know, put a dot on your left eye and you're walking around the field. Yep. You know, you have, <laughs> you have to remember you have a blind spot there. You know, uh, which is different than shooting clays when you're in a controlled environment and you're shooting straight out and you're only. You know, there's never anything out in front of you except, you know, except the target, right? Versus, uh, you got to be careful if you use a dot or a patch on your eye, and you're and you're hunting, you know, um, because you you wouldn't want to have an accident, you know. So, yeah. Um, not no. I wish I had a more clear answer for you, but for the people that are listening to this, um, it's not always that clear. We we can help you get to the bottom of it if we test your eyes to figure out the degree of dominance most qualified instructors nowadays given that this is kind of what, what i'm talking about with related to degree of dominance it's becoming kind of more widely known um partly there's a there's an, a shooter who's an eye doctor that's spent a lot of his time educating people and people like myself educating people if you needed help and you didn't know what to do with dominance you know i would advise you to look up in your area uh, you know someone you think is qualified and uh, see if they could give you any guidance with it. Excellent. Um, let's touch on fee task just briefly before the break. Um, <clears throat> most of us are familiar with all the, the other clay target games. Fee task is a, I'll call it a European game for lack of a better description. Why don't you describe the basic difference between fee task and sporting clays? Okay. So um, fee task compared to sporting clays the things we talk about that are the most obvious is you you must shoot with the gun unmounted before you call pull mm -hmm. so you, you cannot shoulder the gun to your shoulder until you see the bird come out so that's the biggest difference in the rule or the game meaning in sporting clays you could shoulder the gun and be pre-mounted uh like you could in trap or skeet uh with sporting clays but feet test you cannot shoulder the gun until you see the bird moving so that's that's the biggest difference um the the game is done with more single targets yeah so you generally shoot to shoot a round of 25 you generally shoot um uh six pairs so 12 of the targets are pairs and 13 of the targets are singles mm -hmm. so you get two shots at the singles often the the pair the targets are a can be a little bit further than an average sporting clay target um you know, often set up in an open area, not as much fetus in a thick woods or something yeah. like that, yeah. you know. So biggest changes, biggest difference is really the, the gun hold. Mm -hmm. The gun hold and then the sequence of uh, singles 
and pairs combined versus all pairs in sporting clays. Well, there you have it. This guy knows of what he speaks. He's won the World Task Championship. Anthony Matarese is my guest here on the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. Anthony, take a moment to ca- collect your thoughts while I spill out what few I have on this short commercial break. Brought to you in part this uh, week by ESPAmerica.com. Yeah, uh, whether it's in the field or on the range, Remember, hearing loss is cumulative and permanent, so protect yourself. I just got myself a new set of ESP uh, 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 earplugs, for lack of a better term. Uh, You want to learn more about what they have and what they will do for you, go to ESPAmerica.com. And then if you can't get over to see Anthony, way over there in New Jersey, go to the Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School near Jervis in Salem, Oregon. Yep. In addition to instruction of all sorts from people who actually hunt, they've got an incredible, unique selection of browning models from a maple stocked Satori to a Satori medallion. If you're looking for a sub gauge gun, they've got those in their gun room as well. MidValleyClays.com is where you go for instruction for any of the Clays games and, of course, for your next shotgun. And Anthony Matteris, welcome back to the Upland Nation podcast. Uh, I'm uh, I'm learning. I, I have to make notes and think about questions at the same time. So I apologize if I sound like I'm a little bit overwhelmed. But it's it's great to great to learn this stuff from you, and uh, and other people have the chance as well. You've got a lot of other teaching tools available to us, don't you? I do. Yep, I do. Um, have some instructional instructional videos out there and uh, I've, I've written a book uh, that we what we released last year uh, or 2022 rather and then I'm in the process of writing another book uh, with Will Primos on uh, basically becoming a better shotgunner in the field so using your using your using your uh, shotgun better for all the different uh, types of hunting disciplines it, and and Beyond what we've uh, talked about already, are there any other mo- more blatant differences between shooting at clay targets and shooting at uh, at winged targets? I mean, you know, one thing that people will often mention is they'll say, well, wing, you know, live birds speed up and clay targets slow down. Sure. Right? You know, so that's, that's, that's obvious, right? You know, and there, there's often, you know, there's kind of a little bit of a in my opinion, a, a wrong perspective by the, the hunting community as a whole that, you know, clay target shooting is, is, is not as good of practice for, for hunting as it really is. Right. You know, because mm-hmm. it, it's easy to highlight the differences, right? Well, I know where the bird's going versus I don't know the bird's going. It doesn't fly in a straight line. It's not predictable. Right. So all, you, you could easily come up with the reasons why clay target shooting is different than than uh than hunting birds but at the end of the day it's the best option that we have right you know mm-hmm. if you're if you're not going to be in you know south america shooting doves where you can you know shoot at a thousand doves a day it's probably your best uh best option to become a better shot in the field is to uh work your fundamentals in the clay range so um the wing shooting book that you're working on with will primos um what what are the what are the things you're going to cover in that book? I want to put in my order immediately after this discussion. Yeah, so the first thing we the first kind of the structure of the book in one regard is we cover every we cover every uh, hunting discipline. So we cover uh, you know we, this comprehensive book related to shotgunning with for shotgunning right hunter shotgunning for hunters. So we have a chapter on dove hunting. We have a chapter on uh, waterfowl. We have a chapter on upland birds. We have a chapter on turkey hunting. We have a chapter on even using your shotgun for a deer. So the first thing that it does is it covers every species you know mm-hmm. that you might that you might shoot a shoot a shotgun at, and we cover the fundamentals then related to those disciplines. Okay, um, and then in a general sense, it covers 
the big picture, right? You know, when we say big picture, so proper stance, proper gun mount. We touch on eye dominance in the book. We talk about gun fit. Um, you know, we talk about loads and using different loads and, you know, what what some of the misconceptions are with, with different loads and how things have changed, uh, how things have changed with technology and different loads that are available. So uh, it's pretty comprehensive and it, 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 it's broken down a couple ways, both fundamentally and then by species. Uh, I, I'm intrigued because, um, you know, at one point you want to say, well, they except for the turkeys and the deer, right. they're all flying. Uh, yep. But but then if you give it one moment of more thought, some of their some of them are flying at you. Some of them are always yep. almost always crossing. Some of them are almost always going away. So there there are different things to focus on, aren't there? Yeah. The uh, the interesting thing with I, I met Bill, Will Primos because he uh, shoots sporting clays and he picked picked it up later in life. And um, really, the story and the premise of why we wrote the book is really about his story. Mm-hmm. So he was obviously a you know a call maker and a uh, kind of the first guy that put hunting shows and stuff really teaching people on TV about you know how to be a better better turkey hunter and a better archer you know and he had some waterfowl shows and some stuff like that as well. But the the premise of why he he had the desire to do the book with me was he went out you know was duck hunting and had a day where all the ducks were crossing and he you know and he's obviously has really good spots and etc and missed a lot of ducks you know and he uh this is 50 years after him being a hunter mm-hmm. and uh, you know so he started going to the clay range to practice crossing shots because he was hunting ducks and you know shot two boxes of shells to kill his limit because they were all crossing that day just the way the wind was blowing and uh you know he didn't he 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 didn't like how poorly he did so he went to the clay range and then when he got to the clay range working on crossing shots he kind of realized how how bad he was shooting okay um yeah i i I can relate (laughs) so he took so he took some you know and he thought of himself as a as a skilled shooter right you know the guy who taught he taught in the army he was in the in the army he taught marksmanship and uh, he thought himself as a skilled shooter and then you know the ducks exposed him that day then he went to the clay range to shoot crossing clays and he said geez i really don't know what the hell i'm doing here and uh he took some instruction from the local guy at the range where he was and then started studying and bought some videos and took some lessons and then he he started actually he got went all the way into now he enters in competitions the sporting clay competitions mm um in his journey and uh, that's how i met him he he bought he my book that i have on sporting clays he bought my book and bought some for for the uh for some friends of his and you know he got home and started reading and he he called me he said man this book is awesome you know he goes "I've i've read the whole thing front to cover you know five times and made notes and index cards and it's really helped me and uh we kind of just got to be friends and he came up and took a lesson from me and uh we just kind of had the idea that you know here's a guy that made his career in hunting and at 50 years into hunting he basically says one day that i really don't know how to hit these crossing shots as well as i thought i did do you and uh that's kind of where he that's kind of where he how we ended up with the idea of the book you know do you run into that a lot i mean i used to teach a lot of fly fishing uh and uh, you you kind of alluded to something earlier that reminded me that, you know, there are certain people who are just, they're like sponges. They're glad to learn because they don't have any preconceived notions. Uh, and then there are those who think they know it all, and you, you could not possibly change them. Right. Do you run into one more than the other? I mean, I personally don't run into too many of the people that are uh... – that are so much, you know, so much along from the perspective that they know anything just because know everything just because of my reputation as an instructor. Sure. Yeah. I'm probably the most expensive instructor in the, you know, in the United States. So it's, it's unlikely that, you you know, you're going to show up and think, you know, everything, you know, because you're spending a lot of money to learn. Uh right? So yes, I get your point. I don't run into too much of it. You know, I think that, 
you know, and this is kind of making a, you know, making an assumption. You know, I think the average hunter thinks they're a lot better shot than they than they really are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, if you took them out and said, hey, shoot some 40-yard crossing clays here. Let's see how you do. Uh, they're they're not going to do as well as they would think they might do but if they don't do you know if they don't do much shooting in that form or fashion you know if you're shooting upland birds generally the shots are pretty easy you know even if they're wild birds etc the birds are going away for the most part you know if you get out there on opening day of dove season there's doves going everywhere and they're crossing etc sometimes that tells you a little bit more about your shooting say than upland bird shooting does yeah so you know that would be something that i would say you know not to not to uh not that we want to you know accuse anyone listening of uh being you know less competent than they are but uh you don't know what you don't know you know so uh you can you can always become better in anything anything worth doing is worth doing as good as you can do it well that's why we're talking and you're going to help me right now you you, you now know i'm left eye dominant and i shoot right-handed you also know that i i have trouble with a lot of targets including those hard crossers um and you 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 use lead of various sorts at various times so let's just dissect a hard left to right crosser because we okay. do get it we get it all the time i got a couple uh friday uh, downhill too. Chuckers going downhill and across. Yep. Um, we got our foot position. We got lucky on that, uh, especially with a chucker. Um, beyond that, take me through the motions that are going to help me hit that bird. And he's moving pretty fast. But he's 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 flying downhill. Yep. And, and hard left to right. The um, I think the big I think the most consistent method for shooting crossing style birds particularly in the field even more so than than on the clay range but uh, particularly in the field is feeling like as you shoulder the gun as you mount the gun you get that gun basically to the bird first uh-huh. okay so every every bird um has a different speed really okay meaning that not every not every clay and definitely not every bird in the wild flies exactly the same right so as you shoulder your gun i think step one is bringing that gun as that gun comes to your as that gun comes to your shoulder and your face getting the muzzle basically to the bird mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and then feeling like as you've got the gun and the bird together you want the gun speed and the bird speed to match yeah so they're kind of synonymous for a moment and then you want that gun to open up away from that bird so you know wherever he's going that gun's pulling pulling away to that front side or if he's rising pulls up above him whatever it might be a lot of a lot of quartering away upland birds are missed underneath yeah Uh, you know you see a pheasant or a a partridge fly off and it's got a leg down you know you you shot under it if it's got its leg down you know think of where the think of where the legs are um you know you shot the put most of your pattern on the bottom of the bird you know on a going away target the top of it is the front of it so get the gun to the bird and then move away from it you know so if the gun's going 20 miles if the bird's going 20 miles an hour we're going to move the gun 21 or 22 miles an hour to help establish that lead you know the the other reason why going why going out to a clay range is so important is you know lead is a combination of angle speed and distance right so if i if i take the angle the speed and the distance and i and I've seen that before, then my brain has a pretty good idea what that lead looks like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, of course, the, the most obvious uh, example of that are the ski shooters who know that, you know, the low house four is, yeah. is two feet. So they've shot it so you know, many times. Right? Exactly. Uh, we don't have quite that experience in the bird field, but we, no, we, we can. be exactly the same. Yeah. Some, some shooting and practice sure as hell can help. So what is our what what are we how are our eyes relating to the muzzle and the bird while we're doing that? Good question. You know, your eyes should be locked on the bird. Yeah. And the muzzles should be more peripheral. Yeah. So like driving your car down the road, you're you're looking where you're going, you're looking out ahead of you. You see the you see the hood of the car, but you're really not watching it. Yeah, you know, so you you know if you swerve or you cross the center line because you have awareness of your position, but you're not really watching your position on the road. You're watching down the road, 
same thing with the gun. We want to know where that gun is. We want to have awareness of it, but we're watching the target more than we're watching that position. Got it. <clears throat> That's Anthony Matarese. Uh, the guy's got more titles than I know what to, to do with. Uh, started shooting at age six, shooting competitively at age 10. The guy's got the AIM shooting school. Um, Anthony, just for the record, uh, if we want to learn more about you, what's the best website address? Uh, ClayShootingInstruction.com. Just how, just how it sells. I love just it. How it yeah. Well, you, how hard did you have to work to get that? <laughs> it, well, was, uh, it was available. Oh, uh, wow. Incredible. Just like mine. Find bird hunting spots. What? There you go. No one took that? Okay. Right. right. Uh, uh, I'm Scott Linden, by the way. This is the Upland Nation podcast. Um, you know, you talk in your in your instructional philosophy uh, about feeling uh, feeling part of the game or how to find that feel. What do you mean by that? There's, uh, I think the the best way to describe it is there's a there's a part of every sport that's intangible and immeasurable, mm-hmm. um, and even even things that are that are not a sport. You know, it's uh, things that you know maybe somebody if someone's a carpenter. You know, and they use a, a saw or a tool. Um, there's a feel for for how you operate your hands and your eyes, and in shooting, that feel is really related to watching the target and understanding where our hands and our eyes go while watching the target. Mm-hmm. So, the best way to describe it is if someone's saying, "Well, how much do I lead that?" You know, well, there's a there's a in an untangible and unmeasurable part of being being the best in most sports right so if i said you know someone taught me how to hit a golf putt but then i asked them the question well how hard should i hit it right you know that's a feel yeah right yeah. so how hard should i throw the ball to make it from shortstop to first base without going over top of the guy's head that's a feel as well okay um if you were a carpenter and you're sanding something you know how hard should I push on the wood with the block of sandpaper? Well, that's a feel also. Yeah. So that's the best way I can describe it, you know, is that you, it's not measurable. It's not tangible. Um, you kind of, you know, it when it's right, mm-hmm. uh, but you can't necessarily write it down on a piece of paper and show someone else by, by writing it down. So you, you got to do it a lot. You got to do it. You yeah. know, you, you got to do it. You know, that's the, if you, Go out and shoot upland birds half a dozen times a year, and you know shoot a half a box of shells each time. You're not going to have you're not going to have the level mm-hmm. of feel that that's going to make you as good of a shooter as you're capable of. You know, so that's fine, right? You might always get your limit of birds, you know, and or get your fair share of birds, and you're happy with that. So that, that's that's great, right? But if you're if you're talking about being the best that you can be for you, you know, you're going to have to shoot a little bit more than that. You're going to have to get out there and pull the trigger. You talk about uh, taking a lesson from you or taking a series of lessons from you, and then um, when I go home, I, I'm taking homework with me. What, what typically uh, uh, kind of assignments for homework are you giving to your students? Generally, what we'll do is we'll, we'll look at the different fundamentals that we worked on with them. So we might say, all right, hey, you got to work on your gun mount, and you can do that at the house. But then I want you to get out and work your gun mount and start off with a basic shot like an incomer something that gives you a lot of time Mm -hmm. and i need and i need you to hit 10 in a row you know on that target and then we might go to a slightly easier incoming or a slightly easier crossing shot you know crosser but that's not that difficult and then we want to work those fundamentals and have some repetition and try to kill that shot 10 times in a row okay so that's where you're building that skill set, but then you're also building that feel part of the game mm-hmm. uh, through through some repetition, through you know, and that's that's really how most sports are learned, right? You know, you go to baseball practice when you're a kid, and you you throw the ball, you hit the ball, uh, you dribble through the cones in soccer, and then you do that again and again, and sometimes you do it more times in a row than you you know you feel is necessary, but that's where that skill set is, is built. Yeah, you know, uh, let's let's riff on that for just a moment. And that is, uh, um, <clears throat> as a musician, I was taught that only perfect practice makes perfect. And so, if you if you shoot eight boxes of shells at the range, I bet the last four and a half boxes aren't probably really good practice. 
Yeah, that's all going to depend on the uh, going to depend on the person, right? Mm-hmm. You know what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you have to if if they're not good shots and you're not applying yourself, then you're better off not doing them. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I go and practice, consider and I've you know built up the endurance over 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 the years, or any of my peers go and practice. You know, we can easily shoot three hundred rounds you know, effectively sure. uh, without, you know, but that's because you've used those muscles, you know, many times, et cetera. If you're the average hunter going out to the range, you know, probably a hundred shots is about your limit, mm-hmm. but who knows if you, if you apply yourself and you go out more frequently, you know, that number might go up. Yeah. And, and what I found is, uh, yeah, put a little space between those shots and between right. each box, you know, you yep. don't need to shoot them all in a row. Uh, just yep. take your time. Absolutely. Um, if you were to leave us with any more um, hunting-oriented shooting advice, whether it's the dumb things we do or the things we should do more of or anything else, you see this all the time. You you live it when you're out in the field. Uh, wh- what would you tell us? You know, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to some things that we've said a bunch. You know, I feel like the biggest mistake that people make besides just looking at the gun mount and mastering that and you know there's enough stuff online that if you said properly mount a gun and mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of people that have some youtube stuff and watch that and get the gun out of your house and stand the right way and shoulder the gun the right way and be able to mount that gun automatically right without having to think about it right mm-hmm. we can assume that that's we can assume that that's you know kind of at top of the list so that the gun is shouldered in line with your eye effectively smoothly without without having to think about it you know, that, that would be the fundamental that's probably at the top of the list. But I, what I would say is I would look at, I would look at a bigger picture than that. And I would say, look, um, I grew up, I grew up hunting. I grew up shooting. Um, you know, I can still miss a bird in the field because of the element of surprise and excitement and got caught out of position and couldn't get my body oriented the right way when it was time to take the shot. That, that can always happen for everyone. Well, what I would, what I would, leave people with is this you know if you are an a bird hunter whether you're avid and you go out all season or you go out a handful of times each season and you don't go out and shoot clay targets um throughout the year you know at least a case of shells you know in a season 250 rounds then i feel like you're making a huge mistake um you're leaving you're not really practicing your skill set you know it's it's very difficult to get enough shooting while out in the field to become a good bird shooter you know so get out to the range if you start bird hunting in october start going in august you know and go every two weeks and shoot as many shells as you can that day that is you know to for your strength and endurance Mm -hmm. you know and when the season wraps up in february or march or whenever it ends um you know, and before you start doing your other hobbies of golf and fishing, shoot a little bit in the off season, get out there and pull the trigger. You know, the, uh, the, you know, there's, there's, if we look at the, the world's best, uh, clay target shooters and you put them in the field, they're not going to, they're going to rarely miss a bird. Um, they're going to really rarely miss a pheasant or a partridge or a quail or a you know, dove, they're going to miss like anyone, but they're not going to, they're going to miss less often. And that's just because they have a lot of experience, you know? So I would challenge you to get out there. And if it's something that you've overlooked or thought it wasn't good practice, um, you know, it's not true. It is get out there, you know, give it a, give it a, give it a, give it a year of clay target shooting coupled with your hunting and, and see, and see where you're at. Well, there you have it. If you want to learn more about what he's doing these days and how you can learn from him, whether you're over there in New Jersey or not, go to clayshootinginstruction.com. Anthony Matteris, learned a lot myself. I sure appreciate your imparting your knowledge and experience to all of us as well. Thanks so much for being a part of the Upland Nation podcast, and have a great day. Thank you. Now, don't you go away. We're going to have a look at your winter hunting photos. Yeah, I'm going to take you on a tour of your great winter hunting pictures coming up in just a moment. Midway USA carries just about everything for shooting, hunting, in the outdoors. Uh, have you signed up yet for their emails or text messaging? You'll get 10% off your next order, whether it's foul weather gear or a propane-powered coffee maker and anything in between. 
seasonal non-toxic loads, Upland ammo all over the place out there. There's even, uh, you know, some of the very specialized loads. Customer satisfaction and engagement is their number one goal at MidwayUSA.com. And just off the phone with Fred Bohm at sageandbreaker.com. Some new exciting things happening over there. I'll keep you posted as they come together. And, of course, if you want to get the first word, sign up for their mailing list at sageandbreaker.com. Yep, uh, they've got a little bit of everything in the way of gun care. And I mean any gun, handguns, long rifles, shotguns, everything in between. They've got something for you from gun cleaning mats to all the consumables, uh, the fluids and greases that you're going to need. Learn more at sageandbreaker.com. Hey, first off, uh, you folks are great photographers, and I sure appreciate your sharing some of those photos with us. I will do my best to describe some of them. Another very popular social media post uh, this time around, I just asked I showed one of mine with a friend of mine from way back with, uh, let's see, who is that? Buddy and Manny on point in a frosty bunch grass field. I remember that well. It was cold, but it was fun in Northeast Oregon. Dave, you did good on that shot, too. But anyway, um, I asked you to share some ears and uh Got 93 different pictures. I wish I could share them all, but I'll just share some of them. Jeff Wesley shows me his wire hair with a pheasant in a smooth, almost uh, manicured snowy field with some uh, with some uh, meadow grass in the background. Beautiful shot. Love your dog, by the way. What I can see of him, yeah, don't you love that when the bird is so big it obscures your shot of the dog? And... Uh, the Balag GPA sends a picture of winter in Ireland, a little bit different than out here, at least right now. Um, and we've got uh, three springers all reveling in the ring neck. Not a speck of snow on the ground there. Beautiful green shot. And um, yeah, someday, someday. I've turned it down a few times. Someday I'll get back there. Uh, Tim Wright sends a, a really beautiful photo. It's it's kind of arty in that there's there's basically a uh, you know a, a, yeah I'm gonna call it uh, uh, Milo. It's not Milo, but it has that look about it. Uh, two orange-clad hunters in the background. Gray sky. This the Milo stuff is dusted in snow, and uh, it almost looks like the kind of thing you'd put up up on the wall um, above your sofa. Oh, and here's one that brings back the memories. Marty Wincoop uh, uh, looks like a, a griffon in beautiful sun-drenched Florida. It's got to be because those are palmettos. We got a griffon sticking his nose in on point. And that's you in the background, isn't it, Marty? Getting ready to mount your gun for another Bob White quail shot. Beautiful stuff. If you want to contribute to that, I'm leaving that one up for a while. It's a it's a fun exercise and it's got so much going for it. And especially those shots of places without snow on the ground. <laughs> Thank you all for being a part of the Upland Nation. Good pictures. And that portion of the Upland Nation podcast is brought to you by Purina, Pro Plan Sport Dog Food. Learn more about all their formulations at ProPlansport.com. You know how big we are about performance. Just like professional athletes, we're striving for VO2 max. Good nutrition optimizes that oxygen metabolism for increased endurance. Yep, once again, Flick was doing it at 500 yards on some really, really tough country out there in Northeast Oregon. Had a great time, and he was raring to go the next day and the next day as well. High-protein formulas from ProPlansport.com are one of the main reasons. Learn more at ProPlansport.com. And, uh, yeah, well, I still missed quite a bit, but I did hit a few with my pointer shotguns. Yeah, took the case-colored 12-gauge out uh, on that last trip uh, side-by-side and had a great time with it. 
There is uh, so much to look at at PointerShotguns.com. There's a choice for everybody. Did I mention they've still got a few 28-gauge case-colored over-and-unders? Better move fast on those. All sorts of other color choices. I can't believe we're talking about color choices in shotguns, but that's where we are these days. Learn more. Find a nearby retailer at PointerShotguns.com. Well, thank you, Anthony Matarese, for your insights into helping us become better shooters, uh, our highest priority. And thank you to everyone who contributed via the social media platforms that we uh, dwell in so often. If you comment, even better. If you left a rating or a review, I sure appreciate it. And of course, it's all made possible by our sponsors, Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products, Pointer Shotguns, Purina Pro Plan Sport Dog Food, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Jokes, MidwayUSA.com, LandTrust.com, ESPAmerica.com. And if you want more information on any of this and a whole bunch of other good stuff, I'll see you at FindBirdHuntingSpots.com. Thanks for being such great listeners. Hope to see you soon. In the meanwhile, I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening.